Hello and welcome to the Offscript Podcast. I'm your host, Katie Rose Hester, and today we are going off script with a near and dear friend of mine, Jamie Hill. I am thrilled to have her on. Before we get started, I'm just going to tell you a little bit about this wonderful, wonderful woman in my life. Jamie is a communications and public affairs strategist based in New York. After graduating from UC Berkeley, she joined the Department of Health and Human Services as a special assistant to the Assistant Secretary for Public Affairs, where she supported strategic messaging and department operations. After leaving government, she spent nearly 10 years working at Google as a public affairs analyst and manager before moving on to her role as the head of communications for a startup focused on redesigning the way we provide mental health care in America. She currently serves as a principal for Shallot Communications, where she works helping organizations and leaders to talk more persuasively about who they are and what they do. Jamie, welcome to the Oscar Podcast. Thank you so much. I am so thrilled to be here. Um, this is this is truly so exciting. Uh, I am beyond excited. You already know, but you are the very first guest that we are having on the podcast. I feel so extra special. Thank <laughs> you. I promise we'll do our best. I'll do my best. <laughs> We're going to make A's for effort here at least, um, but it's going to be nice when when you are on and people don't have to listen to me rambling, which I have identified as a major problem when I am on <laughs> Listen, there's always room for growth. And like, you have a lot of great things to say. So listen, I would spend an hour listening to you. The longer I talk about them, the less great they become. This is my issue. <laughs> but yeah, so um, obviously your list of accomplishments is is just incredibly impressive. It's, it's interesting because Jamie and I have known each other for a really long time. Um, I guess I must have been like 15 and you must have been 13 or something. Yeah, like a long, long time. Yeah, yeah. like a long, long time. Early so, youth. Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, we've we went to high school together, and um, she's been a friend of my family's for. You've been a friend of my family's for an incredibly long time. But something that I find so interesting and really like a, a genuinely joyful experience is. Um, sort of, you're not somebody that I talk to sort of daily or weekly, but when we do reconnect, I'm just always re-impressed by all of these things that you've done and accomplished and just like this human and professional that you're becoming. And I just, I was getting prepared for this podcast and I was just like, okay, I don't even actually know where to start because it's just, it's so, I mean, we could start at Berkeley, which is obviously outrageous. We could start at Google, but I think what I'm going to ask you about first, if you don't mind, um, there's an interesting sort of transition that you've made quite a while ago at this point, but you went from San Diego, California, which is for anybody that might not know, like basically adjacent to Mexico. It's on the Pacific Ocean. It's as far southwest as you can get in America, continental America. And then you now live in New York City where you've been for quite a while. And before that, you were in D.C. So as somebody that's made a big fat move in my life, US to UK, and I'm constantly sort of thinking about how different and similar it is. I'd love to hear your thoughts about sort of your experience moving from West Coast to East Coast, and if sort of that difference is really all that it's sort of cracked up to be. Such a great question. Um, yes, first and foremost, uh, as a Californian, I feel really committed to telling everyone in my life how hard and rough winter um, is. So it's like a pretty gloomy day in January yeah. here. So um, yeah, so that obviously the biggest difference. Um, but you know, all joking aside, um, it is, I think, in some ways, like a pretty big difference. Like I think after leaving San Diego, which was like a lovely place to grow up, I found myself really gravitating towards larger cities. Um, I think in a lot of ways, because like the diversity, diversity of thought, people, um, industry. And and so I think that's something that at least like certainly New York has to offer and feels pretty different, right? Um, mm-hmm. I also, I mean, this is maybe cliche, but yeah, I mean, the pace is really different. Um, and New Yorkers, I will say, get a bad rap for not being friendly. We are friendly. Um, we're just efficient, right? Like, don't waste your time. We will help you find your way. Ask a New Yorker for instructions. We love to help you. Um, find your way around. But but I do, I think that there is kind of this like cultural difference and this idea that like, I think in some of these other places I've lived, maybe a broader understanding of like the world around us and kind of this mm-hmm. like more, um, maybe this is unfair, but kind of global thinking um, mm-hmm. that I've, I found really um, helpful and kind of how I've navigated the world. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think it's interesting too how you can get really protective of a place that's become your like sort of new home or your adopted home, right? Like I lived in Philly for six or seven years before I moved to the UK. And sometimes I'll talk to people here or in the US. So I live in London, obviously, but sometimes I'll talk to people here or back in the US and they'll say something like, oh yeah, I've been to Philly, um, but you know how to deal with all the rude people. And I get so defensive. I'm like, first of all, they're not. Maybe they're just busy or cold. Old or upset that the Eagles lost. Like, you know, you find yourself getting really like outrageously defensive over just a geographical location. But totally. when you sort of adopt a new home, there's something a bit different about it because you've sort of had to work so hard to make it a space for yourself. So do you find that that's happened with New York as well? Absolutely. Um, I mean, I will, I heard, you know, someone the other day was saying that, you know, our, the subway was kind of dirty and I'm like, I felt really defensive about that. And then I was like, actually, they're not wrong. Like, filthy. Um, but I think that's right. And I think also something mm-hmm. I've come to notice living in now such a big city is that you also, I'm curious if you found that to be the case in Philly or London, like really like thinking about, okay, how do I carve out this space for myself in a smaller community, kind of like within this larger city? And that, especially, I will fiercely defend. Um, and I yes. think exactly to your point, it's this idea of like, I want, to find this home, I want to connect with people. I want to find meaning, and so um, I want to also maybe validate that I made the right choice in <laughs> making this big move. Um, you know, I've been here going on six years and yeah. love it, but I think that there is this way that you can kind of it becomes a new part of your identity, maybe even more so than somewhere where you kind of your roots originally came from. You don't feel the need to quite be as you know. Yeah, no, I, I I fully hear that. I think it's it's interesting because to your point about carving out like a little space within a bigger space. So people, I don't know, I find it easier in a bigger city to make friends. I find it easier. I find it incredibly difficult because I've moved. Like when I went to law school, I went sort of to a law school that exists outside of a main city. It's in a suburb. It's very insular. Now I had all my law school friends. So we like, you know, just bonded over that shared experience and that was fine. But had I moved to that suburb without the built-in network of my law school, it would have been next to impossible to make friends in my late 20s. And I found that when I moved to the UK, I first moved to a suburb of London. And as lovely as it was, and as nice as the people were, they just had no use for me. <laughs> like, do you know yeah, what I mean? Like, absolutely. They had known each other, you know, I moved to the UK in my early 30s and everybody that I met, all of, especially the women, because that's, that's really the friendship group that I wanted to find. Like I have my Mm -hmm. husband and his friends, but I don't want to go hang out with him and his friends all the time. I wanted my own like female social circle. And, um, you know, they, there was nothing malicious about it. They just didn't need me. They, they had friends that they'd had for like 30 years and they knew each other's moms and dads and kids and aunts and uncles. And they knew whose parents ran what business and whose, you know, cousin did this. And it, I just didn't know any of that. And my references weren't there. And I found it really, really difficult to sort of break into those friendships groups. Whereas when I came to London, they're like all of that was gone. And it was people that were transplanted from France or other parts of the UK or America, or just people who were in London. And it wasn't sort of the first time that they'd been introduced to somebody who needed a friend at age 36. So it was just a bit easier for me. I, I hear that. I mean, so I moved to, as you know, DC right after undergrad, didn't know anyone, had never visited. Um, and I think people at first it was a little bit of a shock, but hmm. to be honest, I think exactly what you were saying, like being in a city, especially a city that's so transient, right? Like people hmm. are constantly moving in and out, that everyone was like six months away from remembering being the new person and how hard <laughs> yeah. it was. And so exactly. truly I would meet new friends at like other friends going away parties and people were just so open and friendly with their like with their social circles. Um, I found that to be the case here in New York as well, just because it's like, listen, this is a big place. Most of us are not from here. We're all just yeah. trying to hold on. And especially <laughs> we're just trying to, to like, pay the rent. <laughs> exactly. Um, and I think exactly right. Like those female friendships and like kind of connecting with other women, like really um, has been a source of strength. But I, I hear you. And I, I that mirrors pretty similarly, like my, have my experience. Yeah. Yeah. And I've talked to other, I've talked to my other friends here who, I mean, men, women, um, everybody, but sort of, they all sort of sing a bit of the, of the same 
tune. So um, I kind of want to, so after you moved to the East Coast, obviously, so you were at Berkeley and then was it straight to DC after that? It was, yeah. So I decided let's take an unpaid internship. <laughs> let's head to DC sight unseen. Okay. And you said, uh, this is this is a quote from you about working in government. You said, government is not without its challenges and you characterized it as a stressful job. None of that surprises me, right? So like that, that sounds about par for the course, but I'm curious because you've had other, I mean, we'll get to your, the Google chapter of your life in a moment because I think Google is one of those like things that, is, I mean, it's just intriguing, right? It's just one of those places that people are like, okay, what's it like to work there, right? So but first, you know, government's not without its challenges. You characterized it as stressful. I'm just curious. You've had other stressful jobs. You've been to a stressful university, rigorous academic programs, et cetera, et cetera. Do you find that the specific kind of stress you felt in government and in that role is different than in other jobs you've had? I love this question. And I, it's interesting. I would say like day in and day out, no, right? Like it was just high expectations, really fast paced environment, which certainly is kind of carried through. Um, pretty much every role I've had. But I think what made that time period different and that stress feel different is that, um, so just for context, I came in right after the Affordable Care Act was passed yes, here in yes. the US, huge like healthcare reform. Um, still Ooh, another work. one of our friends helped implement, right? Yep. That, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, yeah. So small, small, big world. Um, Rancho Bernardo High School just representing. <laughs> hard. Um, but I think what was really challenging about that is I had never worked like one, I think the just political pressure, right? So like mm. recognizing that you were in government, but then, you know, different parts and branches of government were pretty opposed to what we were trying to do. And so that mm -hmm. felt really hard. Um, it kind of felt like we were under a constant attack. And then I think the other thing that felt different um, is that there was no, you know, this was first term um, for President Obama at the time. And I think when you're working in politics, especially on like the political side of things, um, you don't know how long you have, right? So I think right. that the sense of there was just like a clock running from day one, and it was just this like race to be like, how much can we achieve if it's only four years? Um, and I so I think that stress felt different. It was kind of this like unspoken, but very motivating mm. source of like, kind of how and why that position felt different to me. Just like knowing that there was a finish line. Knowing there was a finish line and that like, depending on who, you know, again, politically who comes in next, someone could come in and essentially undo everything that you've spent, you know, yeah. every moment of every yeah. day trying to work towards. Um, and so I think that that felt, especially being on the communication side of things, there felt that added pressure. Like, how do we bring large portions of the country along so that people can understand what it is we're trying to do, how this helps them, how it makes their lives better? And you were there for just under two years or like 18 months or something? Exactly. Yeah. So I came and, in in 2010 and then left in 2012. And did you consider sort of staying in government for a little while or was it sort of always in the back of your mind that sort of like a bigger private employer, like a Google or something was going to be the next step for you? I wish I could say that like <laughs> I had everything planned out. Um, I did not. I truly, I was very happy in government. I um, felt like the work that we were doing was amazing. Um, really fulfilling. I also and met some of the most incredible, not just mentors, but also peers. So I wasn't necessarily looking to leave. Um, mm -hmm. But again, actually through a mentor who had, who had left the department, found out about the role at Google. Um, and then okay. once I kind of started understanding what that looked like and kind of where I was still pretty early in my career, it felt like a great place. Um, but I wasn't quite as intentional about searching it out. It, it luckily found me. Which I feel very grateful for. Ab oh my gosh, absolutely. And when you first started at Google, did you think you would be there for 10 years? Certainly not. No. It's such a long time. It's like now such that a I'm, long time. Now that I'm, you know, I've been sort of like moving professionally or professionally adjacent, as I like to call it, because there's been times. <laughs> but like, you know, for sort of 20, almost 20 years now, the idea of spending 10 years at any one job is just genuinely mind-blowing. And the fact that you did that when you were, I mean, it was like your second job. Correct. I I mean, I feel like my, especially compared to a lot of our peers, mm. my career path doesn't make a ton of sense. Um, it, is, or it doesn't make, I mean, it makes sense for me. That's not sure, fair. Of course. It makes sense for me, but I think it's not, it is not typical, right? Like, I right. did not expect to stay there for as long as I did. To be honest, I don't even know when I 
first started interviewing that I was super sold on jumping mm. into corporate America, um, which we can dive into if that's interesting. Absolutely. But, um, but no, I and I think what made Google a really special place for me is that, yes, I was in the same company for almost a decade, but every year and a half or two years, my role changed, evolved, shifted really significantly. I had the benefit of being on um, a small team that was mm-hmm. actually created uh, while I was there. And so I felt like we were constantly on the forefront of building something mm. new. And so I think that kind of satisfied a bit of, right? Like I didn't yeah. get there and do the same role for 10 years, but no, I, I think about this often that I'm like, mm. wow. I mean, that's it's such a long time. But you know what's, what's so, because I don't, I mean, I don't know much about how Google works, but I'm not surprised at all that it seems as though there's a pretty clear like progression structure because there's mm-hmm. just so many employees. So of course you have to have like very delineated progression structures. So, but I think it's interesting, right? Because I've also never worked in government, but I have tons of friends who have, and obviously they're also on the ladder, right? So yep. I wonder if in a way there was like a bit of like mental peace, a bit of cognitive consonance for you when you exited government, which was the only like real job that you'd had after you graduated university. And then you get to Google and it's like, okay, well, this is a totally different machine, but at least I know that in 18 months, things are going to look different because that's what would have happened in my last job as well. And it was obviously something you liked. Yes, I think that's totally right. And I think for where I was in my career at that time, having the like, what is the next thing I have to achieve, which you yeah. can also unpack that yeah. <laughs> in that, that regard. Um, but I think that's exactly right. Like it was very clear, like what does success look like? How do you get to that next level? What are the things that you need to do? What do you need to build? Um, and so I think you're right. Like, wow, they look very different. There is kind of, it was kind of a similar um, hierarchy or at least like a progression, mm. if you will. Yeah, I think so. I want to talk about your time at Google. I'm really, I'm fascinated by, I'm fascinated by the reputation that Google has and sort of like the intrigue and like mystique almost that surrounds Google as an employer of people, not necessarily as a producer of software or services, right? Like I think all of that stuff is a little bit more straightforward. But I think that Google, unlike other massive companies, unlike Meta, unlike Microsoft, there's something about the way that Google hires and manages people that is like a thing right? Like there's literal movies about being an intern at Google specifically. So I just, I guess I want to talk to you at first about sort of, were you aware of that when you first started? And did it play a role in you being interested in the job or maybe not as interested in the job? I mean, you say that maybe you weren't necessarily even that excited about an opportunity in big old corporate America. So can we talk a little bit about that? Absolutely. Um, so I think my lack of excitement is I very much viewed myself at the time to be more of like activist, maybe government, but like really kind of like pushing an agenda from the outside mm-hmm. um, and had a lot more background kind of in the nonprofit space, again, in government. So I think when an opportunity for a large company came my way, I was I was also young, but I was just like, yeah. no, like this is not the direction <laughs> I'm trying to go in. Sure. But um, kind of to the other part of your question, I think what changed for me through the interview process was it became very clear that at least the Google at the time while I was there was super dedicated to investing in people, growing people, um, helping people invest in skills that they wanted to build. And I think especially someone who was very junior in their career at the time. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, this is a place where I can go and grow and it won't just be me trying to fight for opportunities. Like they literally have entire departments built and dedicated to, um, you know, helping you grow as an employee. And kind of, I think for me, there felt like this like great spot of like, yes, it's really big, but I think that bigness will actually really help me right now. Cause like, I can't go to a nonprofit and and at this, you know, as a very junior person and expect that they're going to pour into me, right? They're just like, we just need you to do what we need you to do. Right, so we exactly. do things in the world. So I think that yeah. was like a big shift for me um, in terms of like why I was interested. It's interesting as well, right? Because I think um, this idea of because a place like Google is so massive and they have more resources to pour into your development, that it's a great place for someone who's junior or entry level or associate level in their career to be. But I'm curious... Now that you've worked 
in like scrappier, startup-y type of environments, if you were giving advice to the Jamie of 12 years ago or to someone now similarly situated, right, who maybe has the opportunity, like a fork in the road type situation where mm-hmm. they can either go at the age of 25 or 26 into a startup environment, which is a little bit more volatile, maybe you're wearing a few more hats, maybe you're day-to-day and your progression isn't quite so consistent or known versus a place like a Google sort of what would you say to that person if they literally had those two options in front of them? So I think this might be unsatisfying. I think <laughs> there's a big part of me that said, would say, and I think also like the startup environment now looks so different in such a beautiful way, right? There's mm. opportunities. There seem to be far more opportunities. And so I think there's a big part of me that said, would want to say, um, jump into a startup, wear lots of hats, kind of figure out what you like, what you don't like. Um, their progression can happen really randomly, but you get to try different things with the exception of if you feel like you're going to a large company and you are incredibly excited about who your Mm. direct manager will be, Mm. then I think you make the jump because that's one thing that, so I, um, had the privilege of working for the same person the entire time I was at Google. All 10 Um, years. uh Uh-huh. All 10 years. Um, incredible. the, the, the like, I think there's like a quote, I'm going to totally mess it up, but something like people don't leave, people yes. don't stay or leave companies, they stay or leave with managers. And yes. 100% that is my truth, um, that I worked for someone who was an incredible mentor, really kind of coached and helped carve out opportunities for me. And so I think that's where if you can find someone like that in a really big environment that then has the resources and then they mm. can kind of focus on you, I would say try that because that is something actually when I jumped to startup that I missed, right? Like I missed having someone that I could look to. On the one hand, I was like, great, I'm in charge of like my area. (laughs) And that's really empowering. And I got to try a lot of things um, and, you know, figure out what kind of how I wanted to lead. And that was, I think, quite empowering. But I did really miss that idea of like someone investing in me. And so I don't know, I think it's, I, I will say the one, I guess, thing I would say is, you know, maybe don't stay somewhere 10 years like that. And again, <laughs> it's just a really long time. And I, I don't know that it has anything to do with big or small. I just feel like I really enjoyed getting out and working with different people, working on different issues. And that has yeah. helped me grow um, and change pretty rapidly. And so I think that's the only thing I would say, just, you know, check in with yourself a little more often. Yeah, I, that's interesting, actually, because so speaking of the our mutual friend who helped with the implementation of the Affordable Care Act, um, I actually interviewed him for an article that I was writing a thousand years ago about sort of like the death of the traditional career. Um, and we were having a, a conversation sort of similar to the one that you're touching on here, which is people aren't staying in careers for like 20 years anymore, right? So the boomers were the last generation to do that in a way that we would recognize as being like uniformly generational, as being like broadly applicable to loads and loads of people, at least in America and and sort of like Western culture. And I think it's so interesting because now if you are even remotely involved in like the career journey, professional pivot, recruiting space on social media, specifically on LinkedIn, the advice that you see consistently is like, go do this other thing, go do this other thing, do this other. And it's just like, I feel like it's a lot to reconcile, right? If you're someone who's had this great opportunity, like say a Google type thing, or maybe a smaller company, but you're just really happy there. And you're getting sort of maybe steadily promoted and you're really, really clear on your roles and your duties and your responsibilities. And it's a comfortable place for you to like grow and operate. I do feel like now there is a little bit more, I mean, I don't, I don't use pressure in the negative sense because I actually love moving jobs like every two years. It's like my favorite thing to do. Um, (laughs) And and I've been doing it. But I do think there is sort of this sense, I guess, that staying 10 years at a place now is – it's like anomalaic in an almost kind of negative way. Like it's getting closer to that. I think that's right. And I I mean, I think – look, I think that where we are also, at least in the U.S., economically, right, we see, unfortunately, a lot of larger companies yeah. doing large rounds of layoffs. And I think there is a bit of this reckoning that, like, yes, you can pour in a lot, but you're, again, at the end of the day, you work for a company and there yeah. isn't going to be necessarily that same love, loyalty yeah. back, um, which I, I get. And of so course. I do think – I think it is healthy and I think we are kind of moving into and have moved into this new 
way of thinking about work and workplace. And that's not to say that you can't go back somewhere, right, after you've kind of tried different things. But of course. I, I think there's a lot of wisdom in that um, and something that I think I, as I'm continuing to progress in my career, just trying to keep a closer eye on um, yeah. in terms of what does that look like for me going yeah. forward. And also just like sort of now that there's people our age in management positions, we no longer look at resumes with hopping on it, right? Like changing jobs every 15 or 18 months as negative. Whereas when you and I were starting our careers, like in our early 20s, that was definitely something that we had to look out for. Absolutely. Um, and I think the other thing too, what you know has come up across in different you know interviews I've done, this idea that I think a diversity of the size of types of companies, mm-hmm. organizations you work for is really valued, right? Like I had a number of conversations with startups who were like, we think you're wonderful, but you've only not only, but you've worked at this place that's really large and it's a really different feel. And so I do think to some extent, changing your environment and the size of the company and kind of what that looks like also makes you a bit more valuable and Mm, um, more marketable. Mm -hmm. You know, that's so interesting because for a long time, I like when I was struggling with my pivot, getting out of legal practice and into literally anything else, let's be honest. Um, (laughs) just any, anything else in the world. Um, I I sort of had it in the back of my head that if I could just get somebody to hire me at a place that everybody knew. So whether that was a place like Google, or I was constantly applying to sort of like Deloitte, or like KPMG, sure. Bank of America, places that are just like really international, have offices everywhere, well-recognized, massive brand equity. I always thought that if I just got a job there, then I could write my ticket anywhere if I just spent like a year or two there. So it's really interesting to hear that you sat in interviews after being at a place like Google, who I would say has you know, more brand equity than just about any other company on the planet, right? And they're certainly in the top like three or four. And um, and you actually sat across from people that were like, eh, that might not be something that we're into. Like, I find that fascinating. Totally. And I will say the first time it happened to me, I was, I mean, I think I hopefully hit it well, but in my head, <laughs> I was I was a little bit offended and a little bit like, wait, what? It, that dissonance, right? Of like, I put in all this time at this place. And then the more I started thinking about it and in other conversations, I was like, that actually makes a ton of sense, right? I'm coming from a place where my entire team might be larger than the size of this startup. And so they're looking at me thinking, you've done all these great things, but also you're used to incredible budgets and resources and people power. I'm like, hi, you're going to be the only person who's going to be doing 19 things. (laughs) And I think that there's a way, right? Like as you get to know the people that you're interviewing and they can hopefully have a sense of who you are and how you show up, um, that you can kind of like work around that. But I think more and more, at least in the startup space, People sure look at the company that you come from, but they really want to have a better sense of like, what is it that you have done personally? And will that translate to what they need in-house? Yeah, I am seeing more and more on job listings and because I was doing hiring at my last company as well, more and more now, it's like, yeah, we want your standard resume with the normal bullets and the normal profile and blah, blah, blah. But we also want like 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 a matrix with your KPIs. Absolutely. That was not a thing until very recently. No, I truly and, – and, and it's one of those things where I'm like, I guess I, I, I understand how that's helpful to a hiring manager, but it's completely made me rethink how I present yeah. myself, my background, my areas of expertise because, yeah, it's a whole new ballgame. Yeah, massively. So then shifting gears a bit. So you leave Google and you leave sort of your big budget, big resource, big team sort of environment and you go immediately to, correct me if I'm wrong, but it was a startup, right? Correct. Yes. Yeah. And so, and you go into a, like a senior leadership role. Um, I, I don't know if it was immediately or if that was like after a promotion or whatever, but you end up in a, in a senior leadership role. And so now you're literally doing the thing that we were just talking about. So talk to me about that transition. So it was, um, it was really interesting transition because I did, so I was the first person to be hired in this role. Um, so it's first in-house hire, which I think was amazing and kind of let me in a lot of ways write my job description, but also took a lot of socializing internally, right? Because I had to, I I mean, I'm sure this comes um, up for you, but I feel like anytime you start talking about communications or PR or content, everyone kind of has their own definition. So it was a lot of me being like, (laughs) yes, I do words, but I don't do like, (laughs) let's talk about, let's talk about what you need. Um, 
So yeah, I, me and my friends, sorry to interrupt you, me and my friends no. have an ongoing joke about that. So all of my marketer friends from my last job where I spent the better part of two years, like we just, it's just the amount of people that will say that they know how to do marketing or that they know how to do branding or content or communications. And it's like, sure. Like I, maybe you have a knack for it. Maybe you're really naturally talented, but can we just like chill on calling ourselves marketers, please? (laughs) Because like, that's my job. Right. And like, I actually, it is my actual job. It's how I feed myself and keep the lights on. Totally. Yes. I feel that um, in the exact same way, kind of on the communications PR side. Oh yeah, yeah. Comms. And then they'll say something and I'm like, that's not Again, I'm, I'm, I'm smart. I can probably figure it out, but like that's very <laughs> not what I do. <laughs> very much not what I do. Um, yeah. So yeah. So, but jumping in, I think the things that were um, really exciting was the idea of like building this communications function mm-hmm. really from the internally from the ground up. That was really appealing to me. Um, I think we were at a really exciting time as a startup, right? So we had some brand awareness, but really kind of this was um, just for kind of size of company. I joined post series A raise and then stayed through um, a series B raise. And and so it was a really exciting time, right, to get yeah. our experts out. But it wasn't without its challenges also because kind of mm. to our earlier conversation, right, there were, you know, maybe 30 of us trying to do the work of oh yeah hundreds of people. Yeah. Um, but I think it taught a lot, me a lot, especially about what I love when it comes to internal communications, employee comms, how can you use communications to support um, the culture and the workplace that you're mm-hmm. building? Um, so that part was really fun. Yeah. And and the the business that you were working for sort of – so when we talk about like redesigning the way that we provide mental health care in America, like that's just gigantic, right? I mean, that's just – that's a huge, huge, huge topic. But I wonder – I mean – that was a that was a big departure from what you were work the projects that you were working on at Google, right? Yes, um, a pretty massive. I worked on a lot of education, economic opportunity, um, but I will say I think the skill set that bridged to my new role was this idea of how do you how do you help communicate to someone this idea that we're trying to really radically change and transform mm-hmm. a system. Um, how do you bring people along with the idea that? the system that exists is not necessarily the best version of what it can be. And so I think while it was a new area of content for me to kind of get smart on, I actually drew from a lot of my skills, kind of building community around education issues, economic opportunity issues, um, kind of bringing people along the idea that like tech and digital skills are exciting and kind of this next generation. So there was some similarity there, but yeah, I showed up and I was like, there's a lot of acronyms (laughs) happening. I would, have a, I, would, I would have a notepad going in meetings of like things that I'd write down that I'd have to Google mm. after because I was talking with engineers on one hand who were talking about like our product that we're building and then clinicians who were talking about therapeutic, you know, t- oh, different yeah. types of um, therapeutic um, treatments. And I was like, I, yeah, what is happening? Yeah, but I think, so I, I work with a lot of startups and that's what I love. Like, yes. I, my clients are exclusively in their startup or scale up phase of growth. And I absolutely love speaking to most often founders and co-founders or some type of like COO or something like that about the products that they're bringing to market because you just end up having conversations about things that you you're just like why am i talking about hearing testing why and like paradigms for hearing testing or or how have i landed in a conversation about um musculoskeletal disorder like it's just you just end up having these conversations about things that you would never otherwise even like remotely entertain conversationally. And I, I, I love that about being in that environment. I a hundred percent agree. And I think that's something given the areas of business where I think we both sit, mm-hmm. I think that's the coolest thing, right? Is like, it's a lot of really co- like interesting conversations with super smart people mm-hmm. who are trying, who have built or are building something that is going to make kind of our hopefully lives better. Um, and I think being able to help them communicate and think about how do they reach the audiences yeah. they want to reach. Like not it's only the best, it's the best, right? It's like the you best. Say, yeah. And I sometimes I you know now sitting kind of more on the agency side, I get to have that each day across a handful of clients, and it really is kind of a pinch me moment where I'm like, how how lucky am I just to be able to listen and get smart and ask questions and learn about something that maybe is going to help change yeah. 
our future looks like. Absolutely. No, it's the absolute best. It's it's my favorite part about what I do now. And I love talking to other people who do it because it's definitely a shared passion. And you realize that like you've sort of ended up exactly where you're meant to be, yes. um, regardless of how it took to get here. Totally. But, um, so an interesting thread for me throughout your career and probably when you were in school as well, I just don't know much about like what you what you were doing there. Um, but an interesting thread for me through like working for the government, working at Google, and then your your more recent work agency side and startup side is this thread of like, even if you weren't doing direct advocacy work, it feels like it was always building towards that or that that was woven in. And I know that for you now, one of your and and for years, um, something that you're incredibly committed to is advocacy in your community. I'm always seeing what you're putting on social media. I gobble it up. I love it. I mean, the Hester family's always known you were a good egg. You know <laughs> what I mean? Like we've never had our doubts. <laughs> so um, I, I want to talk to you about that because I know it's something you're really, really passionate about. Yeah. Thank you. And thank you for giving that space. Um, it's interesting. I think you're right. Like through everything I've worked on, even if it's on behalf of another organization, I have worked on things that I care really passionately about, right? So first, access to healthcare um, at Google did a tremendous amount of work around access to education, coding opportunities for kids, online safety. Um, and it's funny, I think it's something that is pretty true to my roots, even in how I was yeah. raised, right? Like my parents are really, they're small business owners, always have mm-hmm. been, um, are very community minded. And I think that's something that was just taught as a, as a value and like a way that we connect as a family um, and a way that kind of as I've continued to grow, whether directly kind of in the work that I'm doing, or as you were mentioning, you know, I love volunteering, um, staying close to my community. I think that's something that has served as a motivator for me. And I mm-hmm. think in the back of my mind has actually been part of what has allowed me to say yes to each opportunity that comes yeah. my way, right? So you know, I jumped to real because I was super passionate about, yeah, how do we, you know, at least here in the US, our mental health support and system is not anywhere where it needs to be. Right. Um, but it's also what made me able to say yes to Shallot, right? Like I get to work with companies and organizations that are doing incredible work and I think trying to make the world a better place. But it also is the first time where I've had more flexibility in like what my day-to-day looks like. And then I'm actually yeah. able to invest more of my time in showing up for volunteer opportunities, advocacy work as well. So I think that's actually been a really fun part of like my most recent jump is is being able to actually get back to some of that. I mean, that's just, that's wonderful. I feel like I have so many friends who are so good about doing that and I'm not quite there yet. Like I'm still new to London. I'm still trying to sort of like find my little pocket of this nine million person town and like small feet. Yeah, I'll get there. I'll get there. But I'm always just so impressed with the friends that I have, yourself included, who are so dedicated to just like creating better communities and helping the people around them. And I think it's just outrageously, outrageously impressive and amazing. Um something that kind of ties into that is when I was preparing for this podcast episode with you, I was reviewing some of the responses that you gave to the questions that I was asking about your time at university, your time working, things that you enjoy. And um, I just noticed immediately, like immediately that your responses to 99.9% of the questions were just overwhelmingly positive. And I was like, okay, all right, we need to know more about this because if I... We're responding to these questions. It would be a lot more like middling. (laughs) Like I just, and so I found myself and like, you know, I've known you for a long time. You're a happy, chipper, positive person generally. But I found myself wondering like, is this just her sunny disposition coming through? Maybe. Is this, you know, just how she genuinely perceives her professional experiences to be, right? Like stressful, but still good. Or, um, you know, overwhelming at times, but still really learned a lot. Like, is that just how she operates and, and you know, make sure that she stays sane? Or is it just the benefit of like hindsight, right? And we're answering these questions as, you know, 30-somethings when we had the experiences as 20-somethings and early 30-somethings. And so now we're able to stand outside of it and like reflect a little bit more fairly, maybe. So I Mm -hmm. wanted to get your, like, I don't know if you noticed that your responses to the questions are just really positive, but I did. 
It's funny. So I did. And I think I think you're right. I think a large part of it is just my natural personality. I think yeah. I tend to be pretty glass half full. Um, but it's interesting. And especially over the last like year or so, as I've kind of the idea of my career or trajectory, what I want to do next has been a little bit more front and center for me. I have reflected back and in the questionnaire was reflecting back on my path. And it's interesting, like, I do actually think that when I think about it at, and take a step back, there are like small moments where I'm like, yeah, that was a really bad moment. But, <laughs> and and I, I think I can be very honest about that or like, oh, that was a very stressful time period for me. But I think it's all been in service of like where I – like to help me sure. get to where I am. And I, I truly am pretty overwhelmingly happy with where mm. I am now. And so I think it's interesting as I reflect back, I also think I'm able to look at each opportunity is a learning opportunity, some yeah. longer than others, yeah. right? Like, school, <laughs> a lot, lot of learning opportunity. But I think it's all helped me get closer to what it is that will light me up and make me happy. And I also think, I don't know, I've spent time reflecting on this. I do think we all have like different chapters. Mm, and I, yes. I think largely as I've progressed in my career, like I know, do I think that if I were in government today, necessarily I would be as happy? Probably not. Or if I was still at Google, I don't think that would be the right place for me now. But yeah. I think as I reflected, I was able to feel pretty overwhelmingly like positive because I was like, I think I really was like where I was meant to be for that time. And I think yeah. it's led me in a really like lovely way to where I am now. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's wonderful. Um, I, I feel largely the same way. And most people yeah. that I speak to, I think feel largely the same way. Um, it's degrees, right? Like I think, um, you know, some chapters are like darker, harder, or happier and more productive than, than others. I do think though, that like, ultimately, if I was actually thinking about this the other day that like, I was just trying to, because I, I did an episode that I haven't yet published because I'll probably re-record it because I'm a psychopath um, about like the beginning of my career journey, exiting yeah. um, exiting law firm life and, and eventually becoming a marketer and then launching my business. And I was thinking about it in the context of a question that was asked of me a couple of months back by a colleague and friend. And he asked me, that. He, well, he basically, he went, damn, that sounds like a lot. <laughs> um <laughs> Which you know when you get that, you're like, Whoa. oh, I mean, Whoa. we were like, we were like two beers deep and he was like, yeah. we need another round. Like, this is <laughs> yeah. so he was like, he goes, damn, um, he was like, do you, do you think that that like, taught you anything? And it's a really, it's a really, really good question. It's not the first time I've been asked that question. And I think at the, at the moment that he asked me that question, I, I sort of, I just sort of like spewed something back about like, you know, it gave me perspective. I wouldn't trade it necessarily because now I'm sort of, I'm feeling like I'm really in the right place at the right time and and some things are starting to align for me and, and I'm feeling really positive. But upon reflection, <laughs> now I've spent months thinking about my answer to that question. And I was like, mm, I don't think it lent me a lot of perspective, but something that I am 1 million percent sure that it taught me is that the way that I've always perceived of resilience was just completely wrong. Like it was mm -hmm. just completely wrong. So I think- More. What, what do you mean by that? <laughs> so I, I, I think resilience is a necessary, it's a necessary thing that you must possess if you are going to make professional leaps. So if you're going to have a host of different roles in a host of different types of environments, especially if you're going to try and leave something that's definitely like all the way over here and go somewhere that's all the way over on the other side, you know, like going from law to marketing or in your case, going from government to startup and like, you know, you do need a bit of resilience and sometimes you need it in really, really large doses. But my entire career journey, I'd always just sort of worked under the assumption that resilience was something that like I just like manufactured internally within myself, right? So I either was resilient or I wasn't. So mm. my ability to like keep pushing forward was entirely dependent on how resilient Katie Rose Hester was or is or could be. And it felt incredibly overwhelming constantly, right? Especially yes. when things weren't going well, which was basically the whole time. I was like, oh my God, a girl just can't be this resilient. Like it's just too flipping much. Yes. And, and during that time, 
my perspective never changed. That's the perspective I had that whole time. And it was just hard and it was a slog and it felt sad and dark and overwhelming. And now that I'm on the other side, I've realized it several years too late, but I will freely give this advice to other people is that I fully believe now that believing that resilience is like an an innate characteristic or an inherent quality that you either do or do not possess is just complete BS. I think that resilience is something that we like borrow from the people around us, right? We get it in the form of listening. We get it in the form of support. We get it in the form of encouragement, calls to check in and say how you are. And you can actively like buy yourself more resilience. Like I could reach out to Jamie. I could reach out to you and I could say, I'm feeling really low. This is really hard. Can you help me out with this? I need to talk to somebody about this. And in that moment, you've just lent me a little bit of resilience that I can then use to get through the next day or week or month or whatever. So I think that like, it's really interesting to think about your career journey as chapters. And I think it's really interesting to ask yourself what it's taught you as well. Because for me, like that lesson has been hugely perspective shifting. I, first of all, I love that. And I love what you're speaking to is again, one of my passions is just community, right? It's like, it's like leaning into and being lifted up at times by the people around you. And that I don't know, such a beautiful thing in the moment. It's hard and scary and you have to be vulnerable and I don't know. That can be uncomfortable. Yeah, Not always a secret. Um, yeah. But I, I love that. And I think I think when I think about different chapters, I will say one of the things um, that my career path has taught me is just to being really open to saying yes. And that mm. I think I am in the – I could never have predicted that I would be where I am today. And yet I am I'm incredibly happy. And I think – I think being open to risk, being open to saying yes is like something that as I think about those different chapters are what naturally led me into like the next great thing. Yeah. Well, so, so speaking of where you're at now, we were talking about this a little bit before we started recording. So you're at Shallot Communications, right? That's what it is. Yeah. Yeah. And we were talking about, so you are... So just tell us about your current role and because we were having an interesting conversation about sort of like how things started up and when you joined. So yes. if we could just continue that conversation because I'm really, really curious about it. Absolutely. So um, Shallot's co-founders and managing directors, um, Teal Pennebaker, Tim Granholm, are actually two friends who I met way back at that first job. We all worked at HHS together. Did you really? Um, we did, yes. Oh my so gosh, you know what a fun first- thing. Oh, that's <laughs> fun. Um, they saw me, you know, truly very green, like literally like not sure how to like work a printer. Um, (laughs) I still don't know how to do that. So, you know, nobody does. No one does. Um, so we all worked together, then went off, um, and did a variety of other things. Um, all of us kind of some corporate experience. Um, Tim went back into government and then they founded Shallot Communications, I want to say October, 2022, okay. uh, which was great. It's a boutique communications firm um, working with companies of all sizes, helping you know different either companies and brands or leaders talk more about who they are, what they do, um, and kind of our full service communications firm. I got to jump on board April, 2023, um, yeah. which was great. So I was kind of the first... Um, I guess, person to come into the fold after yeah. him got things um, started. And it has been just such a wonderful opportunity. Um, so I'm a principal, work across a number of different accounts, again, helping businesses and leaders think about um, how they want to communicate their goals, their brand, um, and really who they are and the audiences they want to connect with. And I know we were talking about this a little bit before um, we jumped on here. It has been the most refreshing and restorative ways of working, um, if that makes yes. sense. Like, I yes. originally was a little nervous, like, oh, I'm going to work with like two friends. What is that going to feel like? Um, I think just, you know, there's just anxiety around wanting to make sure that the relationship and friendship, that that stays intact. But I think what has been so wonderful is working with two people um, and we've grown and added more folks to the fold who I also feel the same way about, but who I trust, who are just deeply good humans, first and mm-hmm. foremost, mm-hmm. Um, who I can learn from, who I respect. And all of us really value a bit of this work-life balance or not yeah. even work-life. I don't even like that phrase. It's more of just like, how do you kind of make your whole life work for you? Yeah, yeah. Um, and so it's been, I can could probably talk an entire session just <laughs> on this and the ways in which though, um, it has felt like a really beautiful place to be, at least for where I am now. 
Yeah. I mean, it sounds, it sounds incredible. I, I love that the arc is like all the way from your first job after university. That's actually, I didn't know that. And that's really, really cool. Yeah. Um, something that we were chatting about is sort of like, it's, you know, you're so happy doing what you're doing. I'm in the same boat. I'm really happy with Offscript. Launching it has been a dream come true for me. But as sort of a full-time freelancer, as um, someone who's one of three or one of one, you do have these like weird moments where even if you, so even if you have a hyper-productive day where you, because I work from home, you work from home? I do. Yep. yep. So even if you have this hyper-productive day where you get up and you have your meetings and you create work product and you deliver it and you get feedback on it and you collaborate on something, or you, you know, you go out and you have coffee with someone and it's for like a work purpose and, or you pitch something to someone, even when you have like this incredibly productive day, there's still this like weird, at least for me, I'm still just getting used to the idea that I'm not logging on to like Slack or Teams or checking 48 different inboxes, like the second that I wake up or that I'm not looking at my like video invite calendar to see what overlaps and what I have to move to the next day and making sure that the team in this country or this state like doesn't, you know, or submitting like somebody's like review or employment summary or, you know, and not that any of that was like productive, right? It was just like stuff that filled the days a lot of the time. It was yes. actually stuff that got in the way of productivity often. But I still have these moments where I'm like, oh my God, I just had such a productive day. But I still, because I'm not doing the stuff that has been sort of like washed into my brain as traditionally productive, I don't feel like I like did enough today. Oh, 100%. And I feel like it's this total recalibration of at least for me, for the first time maybe ever in my career, it's like I'm getting to define what is enough and I'm getting to define my own productivity. Yeah. But it has taken me a minute to kind yeah. of get there. Like yeah. my first few weeks, I had you know two clients who I met with weekly, which meant that I had two meetings a week. Yeah, I went from having like 45 <laughs> meetings a day and kind of what you were describing, like having multiple yeah. kind of leaving early, starting um, late. Um, and that was a huge shift for me. And then mm. – but it kind of there I had this unlock moment where I was then able kind of to what you were saying, like step back and be like, these were all things that weren't necessarily contributing towards building a business or a team or yeah. even that productive. They were just all these things I was I had to do. And so I think the most fun for me, it's it's imperfect. I think there's certainly days where I stop working and I'm like should I stop now or should I send out like three more pitches? Like, you know, there's just kind of this always on yeah. hunger. But I think redefining for me and for myself and for our team, like what is enough? What does productive look like? Mm -hmm. And I think for me, that's really shifted how I think about structuring my day. And in yeah. a way that back to kind of this idea of like work life, how do these kind of coexist together um, has been really healing and helpful for me. Yeah. Do you feel like you're getting it right? Are we ever getting it right? I don't I know. Don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I, I think I think I'm in a really good place right now. Yeah. I'm sure. And I think that's the the blessing and the curse of kind of doing something like this is I'm sure in three months I'll be like, oh, I need to rethink everything about, you know, how I'm spending my time based on the clients we have or the needs. Yeah. But I do feel like, at least right now, the challenge of redefining for myself what is enough, both mm -hmm. I think professionally and personally, has been um really life-changing in a way. I'm like, yeah. I kind of want to hold on to that part. Yeah. But I'm sure I'll text you and be like, I, today, is, today, was, today was a day where, I don't know. I don't know how we got it. I'm logging off unwillingly. Unwillingly. I'm not happy about it. <laughs> yeah. I. So I have only been full-time off script. Like it's been my side hustle for a number of years and I've always just like fitted in around my like full-time job. So if I'm working 40 or 50 hours in my full-time job, I'm doing off script like at 10 at night or on a Sunday morning or on a Sunday afternoon, which has been fine. But December 31st was my last full-time day at my previous job. And so I'm in like, what, week three? Well, I mean, January this year has had 48,000 weeks, but you know, it's day 73 of January, 2024. 
So I guess I'm only in week like three and a half of, of off script. It feels like longer. Um, but I definitely do find myself like still battling a bit of like guilt, right? So like this morning, for example, I woke up and I felt sick because that is just my condition now because it is just, that's just this what January winter is. Yeah. <laughs> that's just what winter is now. And I woke up and I was like, it was really early and um, it's like 6.45 and I was like, I don't need to get out of bed yet. Like I feel sick and I could just sleep another hour and probably feel better. Like that is, that is a luxury that I now have. Like I don't have somebody working in a different time zone who's already online. I don't have an email that I didn't get to yesterday that I need to get to this morning. Like my boxes are all ticked, you know, my T's are crossed, my eyes are dotted. I could just sleep for like another hour. I'm going to cut to the chase here. I didn't. I got out of bed. I had some coffee, put my big girl pants on, and I did some work. Yeah. But but there will be a day when I just stay in the bed and I just and I just but that's like crazy to me. I'm just like, oh my gosh, like this is just absolutely wild that that's my choice. It's totally it's super uncomfortable, but I would say you're already well on your way in the sense of like it's it's a, like you're evaluating and you're kind of <laughs> I'm thinking like, about you know it. I, mean? like, I think yeah. for so long I I wouldn't have even considered that. I just would have been like, oh, I wake up every day at whatever exactly. time and jump exactly. out. Like, and so I think I think that's the magic of it. And like some days the answer is going to be like, yeah, actually, I really do feel energized and motivated. I am going to get up and start working early. Um, but maybe someday soon you're going to be like, you know what? I am going to press snooze and sleep another hour. And that's the beauty of what you're doing and building is you're like, I, I can because I'm yeah. writing the rules. And I think yeah. that's really cool and really empowering. It's just, it's just wild. And it's just, it's, it's interesting to talk to other people that have had or are having that same experience because I think it's this weird, like, it's this weird Long Island iced tea of emotion, right? It's just like everything, right? <laughs> just like, it's yes. just like there's guilt, but there's like relief and there's like happiness, but it's mitigated by sort of, also the sense of being more responsible for my financial future than I ever have been before, right? Which yep. is, I'm sure, sort of something that you and and the other two people that you're working with are feeling as well, right? Like Absolutely. in the past, at whatever job you've had, you weren't in charge of like hunting. You were just in charge of executing. And yep. obviously now sort of being in charge of pitching and, you know, going out and trying to like find stuff and bring it in and then nurture it and develop it and make sure it doesn't leave. It's just like, it's just, it, yeah, it's just, it's just a wild and totally different environment. I'm really happy that I know people that are navigating it as well. I think, and I think there's such a strength and like really what you're building here, right. Is like just opening up these conversations and making people feel less alone and having those moments where like, you know, you can reach out and talk to to people who are kind of moving more into this space. I think, I think I probably know more people in the last like six to nine months who have yeah. jumped into doing some version of their own thing, like which consulting I also, or something. Yeah. 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 Like, that's like super interesting probably to explore in terms of like, what have we all gone through at kind of yes. like other institutions that now we want to build our own thing. But I think you're totally right. It's like this reset, but it's also kind of finding you know, you don't literally have that community because we're, you know, both working for small organizations now, but how do you build that community kind of outside of your organization? What does that look like? Yeah, yeah. And and just having like in terms of sort of the impetus behind the podcast as well, like obviously just to share journeys and perspectives, but I'm really I'm really invested in and curious in sort of just the idea that if you want to give something a try, like it's probably possible. Yes. Like it's it's probably possible. It's probably or at the very least, Jamie, it's not it's probably not impossible. Totally. You know totally. what I mean? I love that. And like and even if you don't end up doing if you only get part of the way there, right? Yeah. Like you're still I you're think making progress. Idea, you're making progress and you're trying yeah. new things and you're growing and like what better way to grow than like again doing something that you're like it's really out there, but like let's yeah. try it. Yeah, I I just think it's um I think that partly because when I was sort of beginning my career, social media was nowhere near as prolific as it is now. This Absolutely. type of content was nowhere near as consumable or available as it is now, but also partly because we were still largely working for teams of people that weren't necessarily like, they were just more risk averse than I think people our age are are becoming more and more now. 
And so I think that it's it's just interesting to talk to, especially women who have decided to do something maybe like a little bit less traditional. Although now, like to your point, consulting, freelancing, working in a startup, going agency side, that's starting to look a lot more mainstream than it used to, right? So like this whole idea of a traditional job path, a traditional professional path is just, it's really changing incredibly, incredibly fast, especially sort of like post-COVID, you see everybody creating their own content and building their own businesses now, right? So, but I think it's really interesting to just get people together to talk about sort of these, what were once considered to be less conventional paths. I love that. And I, again, I think it's exciting to see all the more possibilities and opportunities. And I will say one thing I've always admired about you, or like two things. One, just your ability to Stop kind of- you. No, really, like to, to your point around taking risks and trying mm. something new um, and building and kind of like that commitment to being like, I am going to throw myself into this and like, look what you've built and how successful you've been. Um, and your idea around kind of sharing that experience so that it feels less lonely for those kind of coming up behind you or around you. And I think that's a really beautiful gift um, oh, that you. you're doing through this you know, medium, but that also I've seen you now for years do in other <sighs> formats as well. Goodness. Thanks. Well, it's, that kind of brings me to my, to my final uh, the the final thing that I wanted to discuss with you, which is sort of in so to prepare for this podcast, I had sent you a questionnaire and and sort of one of the things that you'd highlighted as being really important for you to talk about was um speaking to um I guess maybe like a slightly less traditional version or idea of mentorship mm. in a workplace. Um, which is something that I share completely. So I think that you and I definitely sort of began our careers in environments where mentors were almost always people that managed you or people that had kind of had your role 10 years ago, but were now in some like incredible senior leadership position or whatever. Um, and I mean, like I'm talking truly when I was like 25, I thought a mentor had to be somebody that like had their own TED talk, like genuinely yes, believed that other, that other mere mortals were incapable of giving me good advice. Like I just, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And so I think, so what you had said was sort of the idea that mentors can be like your work peers and your work colleagues and your coworkers. And in the context of sort of this podcast, the women around you, the, your community of women and the people that you are surrounding yourself with. So I would love, because I know that's an important thing for you. It's an incredibly important thing for me as well um, to just hear sort of like, was that informed by your experience or is it something that you feel you want to pay forward or is it just a combination of both of those things? So definitely, I love this. Um, definitely a combination of both. I think Similarly, I was given the idea that like a mentor had to be like above a certain age, have achieved mm -hmm. certain really impressive things. Um, but that largely meant that like those folks weren't super accessible to someone who was like 23 and kind of just exactly. like, hi, help me. But what I didn't realize at the time, but upon reflecting is like the people who filled that void for me were people who have become dear friends, but were three years, five years, seven years further in their career who just like wrapped their arms around me and yeah. just taught me how to be do a it. functional human yeah. and yeah. how to do it. And I think at the time it wasn't, I didn't, I, I think I really took it for granted because especially mm. at HHS, that circle of kind of young people who, but who had more experience than I did were so generous. Um, but it is something that has then followed me to different places that I've worked where I realized that the people I'm working alongside of are the people who I learn from the most in terms of, right? Like you can kind of have more candid conversations with those yeah. people, right? Because you're like, we're on the same playing field. I can be more vulnerable about like yeah. what I'm not getting or what I'm finding hard. And I think likewise, people who are kind of in your same age group, but just a couple years ahead of you feel that generosity, right? Of like, oh yeah, I totally remember like three years ago when I was trying <laughs> to figure this out. And I think it, there's just this like friendship and connection and this idea that we can kind of all make each other better. And so I, hands down, I mean, yes, I have incredible mentors who are, have been managers and kind of further along in their careers. But when I think about the people who have taught me the most, it's my peers and it's like largely yeah. women who yeah. just took a minute to be like, hi, I, <laughs> you know, here, here's some helpful pointers that I think I wouldn't yeah. have even known to ask for. Um, and we're just so generous with their time. And so I think that's something kind of to the second part of your question going forward, like, I really try to make myself available to like looks like also I'm like 
super clear. I do not have all the answers, but I'm more than happy to share my experience and like a lot of like, right, like what's happening right now. Just speak from here's what's worked in my life. Here's what maybe didn't do with it what you will. And maybe like make it easier for you. I'd love that. Um, But I think I would love for us to get to a place kind of in society where we are celebrating more of that peer mentorship and that peer community um, because that has been probably personally and professionally, like the thing that's helped me grow the most. Yeah, I, I I love that. I feel the exact same, especially in my my most recent role. Um, the women on the marketing team, I just thought they were all just exceptionally brilliant, outrageously talented. And I felt really lucky to sort of just sit in the same like pit, right? The same little like yes. desk area as them every single day and just like observe. But also obviously I was lucky enough to collaborate with them as well. But I think it's interesting. Um I think it's interesting though for for people, especially like, you know, I I'll be 40 in just a couple of years. <laughs> and um I think that we also have had to do our fair share of rewiring the way that we think about our colleagues because at least I mean I went to law school and then went into private legal practice. So I guess it might be a little bit different, but I feel like in government and Google, you might've experienced the same thing, but your instinct is often to think of them as your competition. And that's a shame, right? Like to think of another woman who's worked just as hard as you to get to the exact same place as your competition. Like that's, we don't want that. There's no space for that anymore. But when you and I were sort of in, especially like early twenties, mid twenties, that was still very much what our experience was. And it was very much what we heard, what we saw, what was reinforced to us. And I think that the more that people in sort of positions such as yourself and the people that you're working with can work to sort of make sure that that's not a thing anymore and just get rid of that grossness and, um, and just, you know, cut the competition out of it and just, and just try to, I don't know, refocus that energy towards something a lot more productive. Um, the better off we'll all be for sure. Oh, I 1000% agree because I'm at the end of the day, it's like we're all better when we help each other. Yeah. Like it's just, and it's such so much wasted energy trying to kind of push people yeah. aside. And so, yeah, just bring people together and bring them up with you, right? Like we're absolutely. all kind of lifting each other. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that's a beautiful place to leave it. Love this. This was such a pleasure. Oh, what wow. a joy this conversation has been. Um, I feel like we'll do this again in the very near future. There's so much to talk to you about. Your accomplishments are wonderful, but you're just you're a great human being, and this has been so phenomenal. I appreciate you coming here and having this conversation. I'm sure anybody who hears it will appreciate it as well. And with that, um, I shall stop rambling, and I will talk to everybody who stops by the next time. The next time. Thank you.